This is the Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. It's Friday. It is the last day of the week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and you're listening to The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, anything and everything. I'll do the best that I can. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen. And you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. Lots going on. Boy, is this going to be a busy but wonderful weekend tonight here at Calvary Chapel. I'm going to be teaching. uh, We're going to finish Revelation chapter 11 and just begin Revelation chapter 12. I think the first five verses. Uh, And then we're going to be like on a two-week break from actually three-week break from Revelation because the next two Friday nights are Christmas Eve and we have a Christmas Eve service and then New Year's Eve and we will be shut down for that day. So it will be January of 2022 before we get back into and prepare to finish the book of Revelation. Um, We're getting closer and closer to Jesus coming back in Revelation chapter 19 and I always get excited about that. So that's what's going on here. Uh, On Saturday, I have the privilege of the privilege of doing a wedding. Now, I do a lot of weddings. Um, this one is really special. Uh, one of my pastors, Pastor Matthew, uh, is marrying uh, Veronica. Uh, they have been an item since third and fourth grade together. I know that sounds crazy, but they really have. And uh, it's just wonderful. Uh, um, what a joy to watch these kids grow up in the Lord and they have been so fruitful in their service for the Lord. Um, we've got people coming in from all over uh, the area in Southern California where, where Matthew's family is originally from. It's going to be a great, great weekend. So that's tomorrow. And then, of course, on Sunday, I'm going to be doing a Christmas message here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And then uh, it is uh, Sunday afternoon, 4 o'clock, our Christmas dinner together as a church body. And once again, this will be the last time I'll do it, but we would love to extend an invitation to anybody in the radio listing audience who wants to come. 
You will be blessed by the people around. Uh, the food will be good, and there's a lot of it. Somebody gave us like 28 turkeys and all the other stuff that people cook, and we've got some really good cooks here at Calvary Chapel. And um, we'd love to have you. We'd love to have you just if you go and you're from the radio audience, let somebody know so they can get you to me and Paula. We'd love to meet you face to face. So a lot going on here and things always get ramped up on Christmas, uh, but we're here doing it now. Oh, yes, it's Mikulski Hall in shirts. That's four o'clock on Sunday. And um, give us a little bit of grace because at the very beginning, people are still bringing food in, getting it set. But we typically try to start right on time. We'd love to have you. So with all of that, let's get now to some questions that have been sent in while we await your phone calls. Our first one is from our email inbox. This is from Ashley. Uh, Hi, Pastor Ron. Yesterday you spoke about past sins that are no longer on us when we are truly saved. I don't live with guilt with past sins, but it is difficult not to be mentally reminded of my past sins when I am living with the consequences now. I believe my children are impacted because of my past sins. Can you speak on how to deal with those consequences? How do we know if they're consequences or the Lord trying to teach me something through this? My consequences break me down so bad sometimes. Ashley, I can only tell you that my heart uh, shares this kind of pain. Um, let, me, let me give you a little bit of my background, and um, uh, and then I'll I'll get very specific in answering your question. Uh, one of the things that hit me the hardest, and I might cry, one of the things that hit me the hardest when I got saved was realizing how horribly I'd failed as a father. I raised my kids, my boys. I Paul and I have two boys. Uh, now I, they're, they're boys; they're grown men now, of course. But uh, I raise them to be like me. And honestly, they're, they're a lot nicer than I was. But even that, you know, you're still raising people to be jerks. They had a jerk for a father to serve as an example. And this wore on me so heavily, so heavily. I just thought, and I couldn't convince them, you know, you can't, with human persuasion, you can't convince somebody to be saved. Uh, and, and, you know, my kids were watching my life. And um, and I just purposed in my heart that they were going to see a man completely sold out for Jesus Christ. And then when the condemnation came, and you know, when teaching the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, like I do, there's all kinds of opportunities to talk about the responsibility of a father and a husband. And I failed so horribly in those two areas. Uh, Paula, God calls her precious. I was the worst husband ever. And um, a, a terrible dad. And I had to live with all of that. And believe me, the devil was reminding me constantly about my failures. And at some point, the Lord really, really grabbed my heart with Romans chapter 3, verse 24. We are justified freely. Justified means, and this is just an easy way to remember it. This isn't a theological description, but it's just as if I'd never sinned. And, and it says we were justified at the cross. That was 2,000 years ago. And, and the Spirit of God just asked me, well, why are you still worrying about something that you were free from 2,000 years ago? And I remembered at that moment, God wasn't surprised by the terrible father, the terrible husband that I was. And I realized that the only one who would keep bringing that back up to me actually was the devil. And since he wants to kill, to steal, to destroy... I just made a decision by faith that I wasn't going to listen to him anymore. 
that I was going to be free. And it honestly was a moment of freedom that I can't possibly explain. It was fortunately very early in my walk with the Lord. And for all of these years since, and I've been saved now going on almost, it'll be 31 years in February. And as a result, I can tell you that I've, I've been able to enjoy, really enjoy my life, even while living with consequences of my sin. I've been able to enjoy my life with the Lord. And that's what Jesus wants. The Bible says in his presence is the fullness of joy. So, Ashley, the way you deal with it is to be with Jesus. Just be with Jesus. Talk to him. Take him with you everywhere you go. When the lies start coming in about the condemnation uh, from the enemy, you know, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when you're with Jesus, all you have to do is say, I know where those are coming from. Jesus, you deal with those. I just want to be with you. And his presence In his presence is the fullness of joy. His presence changes everything. And that's how you do. Now, you ask specifically how to deal with the consequences of past sins. You own your past sin. When I got saved, I had to tell Paula how sorry I was, how wrong I was all those years. And in doing that, I had to come to the place where I said, Paula, Whatever you think of me, I I earned it. I deserve it. And I challenged her to watch my life. You watch me, and you're going to see that I'm not that wrong anymore. And it took her a long time. It took her uh, a year uh, before she could even think of me disassociated from the, the jerk that I was. And so what you do is you simply say, Lord, when the consequences come, Um, You said you believe your children have been impacted because of your past sins. When that happens, you look at your children, as I've looked at my sons many, many times, and said, I am so sorry for my failures. Oh, Dad, you don't have to worry about it. I said, "I, I do worry about it. I am so sorry. And then I challenged them to watch my life. Now, Ashley, when you do that, here's the issue that you've got to be able to deal with. You've got to be able to deal with the pressure that comes along that. That means you can't revert back to the old you. I tell my pastors here all the time, these are people Jesus loves. These are people that I love. You can't have a bad day. You can't raise your voice at them. You can't yell at them. You can't get angry. You can't You can't do the things you did before you were saved because the minute you do that, the devil's going to work on them and say, see, he hasn't changed or she hasn't really changed. Same old Ashley. And so you got to realize that the power of the Spirit is available to you every day, all day, to keep you from falling. No temptation is seized you except that which is common to man. And God is faithful. Thankfully, Ashley doesn't say Ashley has to be faithful. He won't let you be tempted. You can also substitute the word tested. He won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. We can actually stand even in the middle of all these consequences. And for me, accepting that God wasn't going to take the consequences away, that I earned every one of them, accepting that, and then watching God work through it. Now, one other comment here, Ashley, and I don't know how long you've been saved or how far in the past were were these um, um, sins that impacted your children. 
Uh, I remember for the first three years of me being a Christian, I dealt every day, not only with attacks from the enemy, but attacks from people. Uh, I was made a laughing stock to some people because, oh, oh, that jerk, now he got religion kind of thing. And and I remember, I, I held on to Jesus so tightly that his strength was always there for me. I used to use Genesis 32, and by the way, I still use it every day. But I'd use Genesis 32 really as, as sort of a life preserver. I would say, I will not let go. And I'd, I'd go out and run or uh, in my prayers, whatever, even when I didn't know what else to pray, I'd say, I will not let go. And that's, of course, Jacob holding on to Jesus as they were wrestling over control of his life. And I would say, I will not let go until you bless me. I will not let go until you bless me. Over and over and over. There were times when I'd run. And on every step of my left foot, I can I can picture it as clearly as though it was yesterday. I will not let go. I will not let go. And I'd do that for a couple, three miles if, if necessary. But I had to train my mind, take those thoughts captive, and train my mind to deal with it. And what will happen, Ashley, and this is something I can absolutely promise you, what will happen is that your children will see a whole new mom. And they'll see the joy of the Lord. They'll see that your Jesus is real, that he's worth having. And at some point you have to say, well, that is who I was. But thank God I'm not him or I'm not her anymore. When Paul is writing to the churches in Thessalonica, he talks about idolatry and some of the terrible sins that the people in Thessalonica or Thessalonica were, were uh, uh, guilty of. And he said, and such were some of you, but now. And so, Ashley, focus on the but now, who you are now in Christ, and stay so close, hold on to him so tightly that the enemy simply, he can inspect you, he can try to, 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 to push replay on the, that tape recorder in your brain, but you're not going to let him win because you're close to Jesus. Jesus will do the fighting for you. So, Ashley... Thank you very, very much for that. And uh, I took some time with this because this really hits home in my heart uh, based on what I went through uh, all those times. Thank you. Appreciate it very, very much. Here's an anonymous question from our mobile app. Hi, Pastor Ron. I feel like I should know this, but why was it a sin for King David to count the troops of Israel? Uh, Anonymous, you remember that uh, even his general, withheld some of those numbers after warning him. Why Why are you doing this? Here's why it was a sin. And this was David's worst sin. Now, in our culture, we think Bathsheba and Uriah, those were the worst sins. But this was the worst sin because nearing the end of his life, when he knew better, this is David depending on himself, taking credit for his strength taking credit for the victories that God had given me. He's faced with um, uh, army uh, enemies, and um, he basically sends his general out to count them. And here's what he's doing. He's saying, uh, go out and count the troops and come back and report to me how strong I am. 
Remember what Zechariah says, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit, says the Lord. And David was flexing his muscles. This was complete independence from God, a man who should know better, too much is given, much more is required. And this was just a complete lack of faith in God. It was David touching the glory of God. And that's why the punishment was so harsh, at least seemingly harsh to us. And yet even in God giving David the opportunity to choose which of three punishments he wanted, David realized he was wrong. And he chose the punishment that relied on God being merciful. And so that's why it was a sin for King David to count the troops of Israel. He was touching the glory of God, saying, look at what I have done. And the last thing any Christian wants to do, believe me, is touch the glory of God. It's a great lesson, I think, Anonymous, for a lot of us who are being used by God. You know, uh, I've had questions on the program before. Um, how do you stay humble and, and when God is using you? And, and they weren't necessarily directed at me, but, but people that God was using. And my response has always been the same. You have to be humble or, the, or, or God using you stops. You have to understand that everything good that comes from any ministry you do comes from God. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, we have the most loving group of people. I get people all the time. We have tons and tons of new people every Sunday. And uh, they'll come in and say, well, you know, I liked it. The, the worship was good. I liked the message. And I say, don't ignore the best part. And, and they'll often say, well, what's the best part? And I say, and I point to the people that are walking around in the sanctuary. That's the best part. Those are the people who've truly given their hearts to Jesus Christ. And they get it. I said, so don't be a stranger. Don't stand at a distance. That's God getting the glory. Anything good that happens, only God gets the glory for those things. So, Anonymous, thank you very, very much. Appreciate the question. 340-9585. Uh, here is a question from our mobile app. This one is from Joshua. It's not a question. He said, can I just ask for prayer from my brother Mike? and family in Christ. Mike's dad went to be with the Lord this morning. Joshua, I will be praying for Mike and his family, and I'm sure many of the listeners in this audience will as well. So um, please communicate to Mike. Um, we're sorry for his loss. Um, but um, Mike's dad is experiencing the glory of being face-to-face -face with the object or the goal of his salvation. So uh, I think, Joshua, we can't help but to be just a little bit envious. Um, the people left behind, we hurt, of course. We grieve, but we don't grieve like those with no hope. And it makes all the difference in the world. And I can assure you that as we pray, um, your brother and his family, God will uh, dose out extra helpings of grace. Thank you. This is from James. Uh, also from our email inbox. Hi, Pastor Ron. Have you ever forgiven someone angry with the spirit of rebellion? What do you say when they question your spiritual walk, even though they are the ones angry and rebellious? James, what I'm about to say is the hardest thing that we can say to anybody who is in your situation. 
The question can't be, have you ever forgiven? It has to be a statement that says you are obligated to forgive. Now, that doesn't mean you have to be around them all the time. Obviously, when Paul writes that we're to throw off everything that hinders, sometimes people like this make it really difficult for us to walk with Jesus. So this doesn't mean you have to be best friends. But here's what you do. You, 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 are, you owe it to God, not to them. You owe it to God, James, to forgive. And here's what you do. You simply say, Lord, he's angry or she's angry. And they're rebelling against you. And, this, and then you just ask, God, please go get him. And James, here's a real practical key. And, and, and I've learned this. And I think the, the, the biggest lesson I ever learned on forgiveness, uh, a next partner before I got saved, an ex-partner who stole from me and I thought ruined my life. Um, I look back now and as much as it still hurts the things that he did and then uh, carnal sense the money that he cost me, uh, it was the greatest gift God ever gave me to put that man in my life. His name was James too, by the way. And um, um, uh, I actually hated him so much I wanted him dead and actually considered doing it or having it done. Uh, and God made me ask him for forgiveness. And when I got through that, and I wrestled with Jesus for a couple of weeks on this, I rebelled in my spirit. I rebelled out loud. God, how could you ask this of me? I'm the victim here. Those kind of things that actually go nowhere. After I did it, it was like a billion pounds of pressure that was let off. And I was finally free. Now, I still hated the guy, but God asked me to begin praying for him, so I prayed for him daily. There were times, honestly, James, where I had to pray for him through clenched teeth. But as you pray for people like this, God changes your heart toward them. And all you have to do is be willing to pray for them and do it out of obedience until you can do it out of the desire of your heart. Do it out of obedience because you owe Jesus. Here's something else I'm going to say that's difficult. You need to realize that you who have been forgiven by God, you have been forgiven of so much worse than what you're being asked to forgive this person with. And if we're honest about that, then there is an obligation for each and every one of us to say, Lord, how can I not forgive and James, I can sit here now 30, almost 31 years a Christian, and I can say there isn't a single person on this earth that I hold anything against. Now, there's a lot of people that I don't want to be around, and there's a lot of people that I wouldn't trust again, a lot of people that have hurt me or done uh, hurtful things to our ministry, um, a lot of people who, who haven't even asked for forgiveness. But I've been able to disregard how my flesh feels toward them and embrace Jesus' heart for them and I want them saved. And your life will be so much richer. Your life will be so much more powerful in, in the power of the Holy Spirit if you can simply set aside those things. So yes, I've had to forgive people like this 
And when they question my spiritual walk, or in your case, this, this person questions your spiritual walk, you simply ignore what they have to say. You simply ignore what they have to say. It means nothing, James. You know your heart. God knows your heart. And if this person doesn't know your heart, then what they say has absolutely no value in your life. It's easier said than done, but it's something that you got to do. I used to say, Lord, when somebody would say something bad about me or a lie or something, I would say, Lord, is there any truth in that in my heart? And the Lord would let me know if there was or there wasn't. And almost always there wasn't any truth in it. And then I just had to dismiss it. God says, let it go. Don't dwell on it. When the enemy brings it back to heart and mind, and he will, he wants to cause you to stumble, you just have to let it go over and over and over and over again. And if you keep doing that, James, then this bondage to unforgiveness, this, this bondage to anger or responding in the flesh will be gone. Let me also say this one last thing. We're about at the end of the first half of our program today. As you forgive people and experience the freedom of being with Jesus, God will show you the wisdom and the power that comes along with all of it. So James, it's our responsibility to forgive because we have been forgiven of so much more. We've got 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand On for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. To the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to our program. The phones are quiet, so we'd love your questions and comments. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Uh, here's a question from Nacho from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, what does Psalm 85:11 mean by they shall never enter my rest? Is God referring to the promised land or to heaven? And if it's heaven, did that mean that the entire generation of Jews who were rebellious to the Lord in the desert all went to hell? Uh, Nacho, it means both of those things. Uh, when he said in Psalm uh, 85, 11, they shall never know my rest. Uh, the people who were disobedient and unfaithful, the faithless, um, they wandered in the wilderness 40 years, and it was until the entire generation was dead before they were able to cross over. Um, people that were 20 years of age or older, they all perished in the wilderness, and they never entered into the promised land. Now, when we look at the promised land, that's a picture for us as New Testament Christians of being in the perfect will of God in our lives. It was God's perfect will that, that Israel was in this land flowing with milk and honey. And that's the place of rest then. It's the place of rest for us now. And apart from being in the will of God, there is no rest in your life because you're always fighting against the Lord. But on a bigger picture, uh, it does mean 
that that entire generation of unbelieving Jews, and we're told that they perished because of unbelief. That's very clear in the New Testament. And because they perished because of unbelief, then they are for sure spending eternity in torment and they will um, be judged uh, on on the the day of the white throne judgment. Uh, They will be judged on that day and thrown into the lake of fire. So now all of those Jews uh, are in the place of torment that Jesus described in Luke chapter 16, uh, suffering along with the rich man in that story. So that's what it means, Nacho. So there's two applications. Um, God's rest for this life is in his perfect will, and God's rest um, for the rest of it is uh, that we would be in heaven with him. It's his perfect will, but when we're not, there is no rest forever and ever and ever. Here's a question critical of me from Joanna from our email inbox. Pastor Ron, I listened to your response on the radio last week regarding the question of black people being the chosen people of God. I must say I was sadly disappointed by your answer. The last question regarding Noah's sons was not the question of Ham being his descendants. It was the people of Israel who do not fit the curses of Deuteronomy 28. There has been overwhelming evidence of proof, especially in the Bible, of who they are. Also, the vast amount of videos coming forward. There's a man by the name of Dana Stevens, a Caucasian, who has several videos on this subject. After studying the genealogy, I myself think that I come through the line of Japheth after tracing my heritage. I wanted to know why was the prophecy in Ezekiel 36 and so many other scriptures stating God will bring his people back from the four corners of the earth. I asked myself, aren't the Jews already in Israel? So I started doing some extensive search. I just want to know truth. So the question comes up with Pilate asking Christ, what is truth? The people in Israel today are Ashkenazi converts. They're not true Jews. I'm almost certain that Christ will reveal everything. And it looks like he already is. There's no need to respond to my statement. I will continue to allow the Holy Spirit to guide me through scriptures. The problem, Joanna, and this is why I, uh, you said I didn't need to respond to this, but this is why I want to. When we don't know how to study our Bibles. And Joanna, clearly you don't, and my heart is hurting for you. Um, when you say things like, um, there is a vast amount of evidence, overwhelming evidence of proof. Um, you're, you're not combining what the Bible says with this proof. You've, you've, you've lost any sense of discernment. Now, this is the Black Israelite Movement. Um, and, and, and variations of it. And uh, I just briefly checked out this guy, Dana Stevens, um, who has no idea what he's talking about. He's making a fool of himself, Joanna. You want to know why uh, in, in uh, Ezekiel 36 it says God would bring his people back from the four corners of the earth? It's because they were away from their homeland for 1,900 years. Think about that. For 1,900 years. And God did, in 1948, bring his people, the Jews, back into their homeland. So that prophecy was fulfilled. It's the prophecy of dry bones. And so, yeah, God brought them back from the four corners of the earth. They were scattered all over the earth. Most of them who went back to Israel came from New York City. But see, you're not interested enough in the truth to find out what it is. And for you to think that you are one of them, and that 
the people in Israel today aren't real Jews. They're Ashkenazi converts. That is the worst scholarship imaginable. And there's no biblical warrant for it at all. And so, Joanna, my heart hurts for you. I will be praying for you. Um, and and I, I'm sorry, but but the, 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 the idea that black people are God's chosen people uh, is nonsensical. God's chosen people are Israel, true Israel. That is not black people. Um, and yet you can be God's chosen people simply by asking him to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life. But join you you got to have the right Jesus. you got to have the right Jesus. I, I come up against this silliness about uh, the, the black Israelite, the black nationalist movement um, quite a bit. And it's just, uh, it's destroying people and their lives. So, Joanne, I hope you'll open your heart and really search your Bible for answers. Here is a question. This one is from Forever Grateful. That's nice. It's a good one to follow, Joanne. Uh, Hi, Pastor. I don't have a question. I just want to thank you and your church for all you do. We're new to the church, and my daughter was hesitant to go to your church's middle school group. She was nervous at first, but after the service, she felt encouraged and loved on. It was very different than the last church. My daughter loves the teaching of the Bible and the heart of the servants. Now I want my high school son to go and get involved. Thank you for all you and your church do. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too, forever grateful. I'd love to meet you just to be able to hug you and and put a a face to the question. Um, but, But thank you so much. And... Uh, we're grateful that your daughter and now hopefully your son uh, are excited. You know, one of the things that we learned a long time ago, and this wasn't a, a, an option, but, you know, there's all kinds of different ways to run uh, children's ministry, junior high ministry and high school ministry. But we had our marching orders from the Lord um, from the very beginning, teach the word. doesn't matter what grade they're in. We actually have people in our nursery praying for babies, holding them as they walk and quoting scripture or reading scripture to them as they're comforting them. Um, So literally from the very time babies come into this church, they're bathed in the word. And the word is exciting. You know, people say, well, kids won't pay attention. They do and they get it and they love it. And, um, um, you know, we wish they were all saved. They're not all saved. But if they're not saved, it's not going to be our fault because we're going to going to teach them words. So forever grateful. Thank you very much for that. That always makes a pastor really, really proud uh, when I hear that all the people here are doing their part. And you are absolutely right. The people that are serving here are just the best. Thank you very, very much. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. We'd love to have a couple anyway before we go off the air for the weekend. Bruce says, why didn't God give the Samaritans the Holy Spirit when they believed? Peter and John had to go lay hands on them. Um, you know, Bruce, because Jews hated Samaritans, the same thing is later true. That's in, in uh, Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 10, the same thing happens with Gentiles. 
And you have to understand that Jews simply would not, they could not believe that God had any plan for Samaritans or Jews. Jews hated Samaritans. Samaritans hated Jews. Jews considered them half-breeds. They were the product of intermarriage between the Assyrians, and they, they considered them almost as bad as Gentiles. Gentiles were even worse, and the idea that suddenly God, who'd poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost uh, upon Jews, uh, and 3,000 were saved, and then 5,000 saved a couple of days later, um, that didn't really, I mean, it was a great thing, but it was all 100% Jewish. And until they went into Samaria, Jesus told them, um, go go into to Jerusalem, to Judea, uh, to Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And God was preparing the world for the the gospel to impact Samaritans and Gentiles. That was always his plan. It was that people weren't ready. And at just the right time, God sent Philip to Samaria, had this amazingly fruitful ministry, people getting saved left and right. Um, but they had no experience of the Holy Spirit. And the reason God sent Peter and John is to validate the experience because Peter and John were then going to have to come back and explain to these legalistic Jews why they were with Samaritans. And how could you say Samaritans are being saved? And and Peter would say, hey, when God poured out the Holy Spirit on them, just as he hit, did on us at the beginning, who am I to refuse? And that same thing happened, as I said, with the Gentiles. So Peter and John, um, um, the disciples perhaps with the most cred, um, when they came back and shared their experience, there's nothing the Jews who would rather not have Samaritans or, or Gentiles involved in the work of the church, there was nothing they could say. So this is sort of validation. When Peter and John went, they laid hands on them, they got filled with the Holy Spirit. That was God's seal of approval. And all they could do is go back and share with others what had happened. And that was the door being opened to these that before Jews believed the door was closed to. Good question, Bruce. Thank you very, very much. Martin or Martine, I never know. Uh, Is it drawing attention to yourself to lift your hands in worship? I worry about what people will think. Uh, Martine, when you're in worship, the the only person that you should care about is what, what does Jesus think? What does God the Father think? If the Holy Spirit is moving on your heart to lift your hands in worship, then lift your hands in worship and sing. No, it's not drawing attention to yourself. It's a heart. It's an experience. And God is pleased. So remember, don't worry about what anybody else thinks. Lift your hands in worship. Get over yourself Get over worrying about what other people think and just pour your heart out and worship to God. You know, Martine or Martin, um, my favorite part of the worship, now this is this is going to sound a little selfish. My favorite part of, this, of the worship is when I go up, um, just, you know, the, the, the final song that we're singing uh, is, is in process and, and toward the end of that song, I make my way up on stage. And when I get up on stage, I look around and I see people worshiping, truly worshiping God. And I am just thrilled by that experience. 
I'll see people with tears running down their face, tears of joy. I'll see people with their hands raised. I'll see people with their arms around themselves like they're they're hugging themselves. Uh, I'll see people who the Spirit of God is moving in their heart, preparing their heart for the message that's going to be heard. And nobody, nobody worries about what anyone thinks. There are times when people draw attention to themselves. It's usually those people who want to run around or who they, they, they want to demonstrate how spiritual they are. That's not what I'm talking about. Just raising your hands in worship is a wonderful, wonderful gift to the Lord. And uh, this is Christmas, so it's all about gifts to the Lord. At least that's what it should be. So no, don't worry about it at all. You keep raising your hands and enjoy what the Lord is doing in your heart during worship. You know, quick story. I don't have anybody on the line today. The phones have been really quiet. Um, I remember as a as a brand new Christian, you know, and, and your flesh doesn't just go away. I wish it did, but it doesn't. I remember thinking when I went to the church and I'd see men raising their hands or, or see people crying in worship, I'm just thinking, man, they need to grow up, get a grip on themselves. And I used to think it's not manly. That's how proud I was. It's not manly to sing in church and certainly not going to raise my hands. It wasn't long before I was so engrossed in worship that my hands were up, tears were flowing down my cheeks, and I was really, really experiencing the the, the ability, the freedom to worship God. So um, Martin or Martine, go for it. Go for it. Here's a hard question. This one's from Donald. He said, would you please talk about cutting? My teenage daughter has been cutting herself, and we're afraid for her. You know, Donald, a couple of things that I want to say here. Uh, This is not at all unusual. Now, when it happens in your home, it is. It sets off all kinds of alarms. Cutting is also always, and I say this without reservation, it is always demonically inspired. That does not mean your daughter is possessed by the devil. It just means that that's what the devil is doing in his attempt to destroy her. So what you have to do is be there with your daughter, and she needs to experience Jesus for herself personally. Your Jesus isn't going to save her. Your Jesus isn't going to protect her from the urge to cut She needs to experience Jesus for herself. It needs to be very personal. The relationship needs to be between her and the Lord. And when she's with Jesus, Jesus will protect her. But until that time, then what you're going to have to do is is watch your daughter uh, closely. You're going to have to uh, love her to health, um, as, as healthy as she can be apart from Christ. But this isn't something that we should panic over, although we should be concerned about it. It's not something that we should be angry with them for. We need to understand that our our war is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the the principalities and powers of of heaven and fallen angels. Um, But there has to be consequences for it as well. So let her know that she can earn your trust but she's got to come to you when she has the urge to cut. And always keep an eye. Keep checking her wherever she's cutting. Usually they'll stay in that physically that same location. Um, but keep checking. 
Every time you do, let her know how much you love her. Let her know about how much God loves her. Let her know that she can be free from all those things. All you have to do is be there for her. Show her who Jesus is. And I know you're going to keep praying for her constantly. I want to say again, it is always demonically inspired. If you go in the Old Testament, you'll see that they would cut themselves in ceremonies worshiping their false gods. This is your daughter's attempt to escape the pain in her life, and you got to get to the bottom of that pain. If your daughter, I don't know how old she is, if your daughter is refusing Jesus, um, then it's probably beneficial to get some sort of psychological help, some sort of counseling. But that won't even be necessary if she'll come to know Jesus Christ. Sorry for the pain. Let's go to Bulverde and talk with Greg on line one. Greg, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Um, hey, Pastor Ron. This, I, I mentioned ago that the, uh, the phones are kind of quiet today. And, and but I want you to know that, you know, when phones are quiet, we're just out here listening. And <laughs> especially, on, especially on Thursday when you and Paul are together, and I'd love to hear y'all's personal experiences and what's going on in your church and your struggles and the things you share. You know, just realize you're ministering to us, and, and we're out here listening. Thank you, Greg. All right, bro. Take care. Merry Christmas. You too. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you. That's very nice. That's very nice. When I say, by the way, just so people know, when I say the phone's been quiet, my concern is mostly for the audience. You guys are way more interesting than I am, and I've got tons of questions that people send in. So it's not for lack of questions. It's just I think um, you make the show better. So that's that's all I'm talking about. My feelings don't get hurt at all. So I appreciate your heart, Greg. Here is a question from Margaret. Oh, I hate this question. She says, where do the souls of animals go when they die? Margaret, they don't have souls. They don't go anywhere. They just die. The animals that we love. Now, please don't misunderstand. I'm a dog person. Paul and I had the greatest dog in the whole history of the world for 15 years before uh, he had to go. Uh, he was a dog that protected Paula when I was at Bible College when we lived in an apartment in a very big part of town. I mean, he's a big, fierce dog, and people didn't mess with him. He's a big old muscular dog, and people didn't mess with him. Uh, he made sure if somebody was walking on the sidewalk, uh, he made sure they got off the sidewalk. And um, uh, when Paula would stop to share Jesus with somebody, he'd just sit down at her feet and wait till she was done. So I love animals, especially dogs. But my dog was a gift from God to me and to Paula. And we enjoyed him for all of those years. But heaven is made for those of us who are made in the image of God. Humans are going to live somewhere forever. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. That along with we have the capacity to choose like God has the capacity to choose. Um, so animals just die and that's all there's no resurrection of animals there's no animals in heaven I know that people say well I believe my dog is in there my cat's in heaven uh, th- you know that's that's 
sort of based in, I got my fingers crossed, I'm hoping, but there's no biblical warrant for it at all. So I think, Margaret, we just have to get to the place where we can say, God, thank you. I still got pictures of my dog up in my house. Now, he's been gone for 23 or 23 years, maybe more, 24 years. And uh, I still got pictures up. I still have dreams about him. I mean, literally, I still have dreams about him. And uh, I'm just so grateful to God that we were able to enjoy him for all that time. But I don't need to pretend that he has a soul or that he's in heaven and he's going to be there with his little cut-off tail wagging and and jumping all over me. Um, Because in heaven, Jesus is going to be enough. We don't need our animals in heaven to experience the fullness of joy that Jesus has for us. Sorry to tell you that, Margaret. Here's a question from Raphael. This will probably be the last one of the day today, of the week, actually. Raphael says, my question is about the Book of Life and the Lamb's Book of Life. Are they the same? Raphael, happily, they're not the same. The Book of Life is a book that um, records everything we've ever done. When the books, plural, are open, um, the book of life, if you don't know Jesus Christ, if you haven't had your sins forgiven, that book is going to be open. Now, these are not real books, so we may see books, but but the book of life, it's going to add everything in your life, and we're going to be without excuse. We're not going to be able to defend us. Well, well, he made me mad or she made me mad. Oh, well, I remember when that happened. We're not going to be able to do that. We're going to, we're going to bow our knee and our tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord. And we're going to see that his judgments are just. We deserve what we get. So that's the book of life. The Lamb's book of life, this wonderful book. When your name is entered into the Lamb's book of life, suddenly, and this is just a picture that works for me, Raphael. The moment your name is entered into the Lamb's Book of Life, all of the charges against you in the book of your life are covered by the bloodstains of Jesus. Remember, we have an accuser of the brethren. He accuses us before the throne of God night and day. Well, well, since I got saved, he can accuse me all he wants, but when, when they look for evidence in heaven and they go to the book of Ron's life... They can't see any charges against me. It's almost like the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And Jesus bent down and he wrote in the in the sand um, something and starting from the oldest to the youngest, they all left. And finally he said, well, woman, where are your accusers? And her response was, I don't know. Neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. So that's what happens, you know, the books are opened in heaven and when the book of my life, all those horrible things that I know I did, but every one of those things is covered by the bloodstains of Jesus. I mentioned in the Bible study that I did on Wednesday night in Psalm 32, an old classic Crystal Lewis song, The Bloodstained Pages. Look it up, listen to her sing it, it's special. Hey, thanks for tuning in. Remember, it's Christmas. We're going to celebrate Christmas here on Sunday. I'm going to be doing Christmas message and then our Christmas dinner at 4 o'clock at Mikulski Hall in Church, Texas. We'd love to have you there. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Merry Christmas. We'll see you next week.
Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. The Word to Stand On for Life.